welcome to the Real Estate Addicts Podcast. This is episode 41 with your hosts, Mark Svatsky from Choose Boston. Dan Rubin, HRV Homes. And Ray Herto from HRV Homes as well. What'd you guys do this weekend? Got excited for this pod. Yeah? Yeah. Really? No, 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 no. That's not what you did this weekend. You went to the mall. I did go to the mall. I got some new shoes, finally. Yeah. I was complimented. I felt very lucky today. It's exciting. Yeah. You kind of dressed like my dad. I am a dad, yeah. so I'm starting to fit the role, you know? Cool. And the dad I tell jokes. bad jokes. He definitely tells yep, dad jokes. Yep. Yeah, nothing about me is uh, the way it used to be 10 years ago, so. Now that we know. <laughs> now, uh, no follow-up no follow question. Now no, awkward silence. What are we talking about today? New construction? Talking new construction. So nice. this is part of a, maybe a larger series. Try to get through maybe site, utilities, some civil engineering concerns. And we'll pick it back up on framing HVAC and, and so, so on. So basically take the, the life cycle of a build. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, we've so, had a lot of really good guests on, but we haven't really talked about what does it take to build in an urban environment? Just the nitty gritty for people who are who are curious about, yeah. you know, what we do on a day-to-day basis. And I think even more important, the idea is everyone starts with like a light reno, moves to maybe a gut rehab, and then the next step in the cycle is, you know, tear down, build yeah. new. Yep. And it's complicated and it's involved, but with risk, there is return. And so it's it's typically if you're doing it right, yes, you know, a, a lucrative. And I think that's what we can ever. help is yeah. kind of explain some of the common areas where, you know, on our first new build and even, you know, even today we're always learning, but on the first one, there were a lot of things that we didn't know about. So yeah. maybe we can share, share some tips and tricks and yeah. just what it takes to and, and get try- that hole in the ground and start to build the foundation. And then you can get to the house next episode. And help people try to avoid trip wires or landmines, as I call them. Just things that you can stumble on, which you cannot stand back up. Yep. Or or costs that could spiral out of control, potentially. Right. Other things which could, you know, sink your ship. What were you saying? This is this is the time when you cross your fingers and do your praying when, yeah, when you start digging into the earth? Yeah, I'm thinking of site and, 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 and foundations and soil and those types of things. You'd like to think that in terms of risk, like, a rehab has a lot more unknown factors versus new construction, which is largely true, but for foundations and soil and that type of stuff, because that can start to add dollars quickly. Have you found anything crazy in the soil? You haven't found any dead bodies or anything, right? Dinosaur bones. (laughs) Have you? Really? Because I actually, wasn't there, there was a project somewhere, I don't know where, but. Seaport found a, a sunken ship. Did they? Yeah, yeah. And like they have to, everything stops. Oh, yeah. They bring in archaeologists. From the city, there's yep. a city archaeologist. Oh, yeah. So that, that I don't know how that affects your holding costs. Yeah. There's a Whitey Bulger project in Southie. Did you see that? No. Yeah, it is like a, the, his known like stash for bodies. This was pretty oh, widely man. reported. Did they find anything? I don't think the project has started yet, but I'll be curious. TBD. Yeah. We found, what's the craziest? We, we found a, um, it wasn't new construction, actually. It was a gut renovation. We were... Um, uh, underpinning the foundation and digging down, but we found an old sewer line, like an old, like a really, like when they, mm. before they had pipes yeah. and they had the sewers kind of just went down like trenches. Wood? Yeah, wood. Okay. We yeah. found that while we were digging. Crazy. Yeah. I remember I, I was on a site like a, a year out of school, big job. I was working for a larger GC firm and uh, the site guy found some like scrap piece of metal or like just some sort of garbage. And he digs it out and brushes it off and calls me over and he goes, Savatsky, you got to run this over to the elevator guy. He needs this immediately. And 
me being an idiot, I take it over to this guy. I'm like, Rich, uh, I understand you need this to make the elevator run. And this guy just looks at me and he's like, you are so stupid. I sold you what an elevator it? pass. It was just like one of these, it was just a garbage. prank. It was garbage yeah. out of the, 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 the <laughs> This is a piece of metal. Yeah, it's like, go to Home Depot and get me a left-handed screwdriver. <laughs> I'll tell you the most common thing that you'll find, at least here, is uh, houses that caught fire, burnt down, and then oh, yeah. they've got I just fill in the hole. I had that. <laughs> oh, oh. We've, we found we found a lot of fill. We've done at least two projects like that. F- yeah. Well, so we started on this as risks for Reno versus new construction. <laughs> so let's get into it a little yeah. as far yeah. as like your soil. So, so cav- caveat being, we're already completely entitled, ready yep. to go. So you got permits. You've done that. That's Perfect. a separate episode. Yep, exactly. Okay. All right. House is there and it needs to be gone. What do we do? Get a, get a couple bids. First of all, you find out if you can take it down mechanically. That would be the most efficient. Um, as, or, a, as opposed to? As opposed to taking it down by hand. Now, we've done both because you can use a machine to take it down, which is going to be very quick and it won't cost you as much. But we had a couple projects where we were attached to other buildings or if you're part of like a row house, you know, you're, you got to be you're very cognizant. Or feet away. Or, if you have a tight well, alleyway and the wind's blowing the wrong direction. Get a, get a better sight guy. Get a better demo guy. Yeah. <laughs> No, some of these guys are, they're like magicians. I don't know how they do it. They just know how to take it down when they are that close. Because we did have a project. It was like two feet away from the neighbor's house. So before before actual demo day, are there any steps that you need to follow before you can actually take the house down? Sure. So there's a whole checklist and definitely look it up. Um, Yeah, each each municipality is different. You know, typical things, obviously cut and cap all of your utilities. You don't want to rip a foundation out if there's a live gas feed that's coming into it. Or electrical wire or water line. I don't think they like that if things just go haywire. Check the asbestos, that there's no asbestos. All of these things are going to be required. Well, obviously, biggest thing is historic. You probably usually have to go to the store commission. Or, yep. Rodent control, site control, construction management plans, all these things that could exist out there. Just All right, so Uh, we have all these things. So building's now gone. Building is, poof, it's gone. gone. (laughs) Let's think about what our foundation will consist of, what type of uh, approach you're going to take. So you've acquired the property. You might want to start with just reaching out to your geotechnical engineer and seeing if they have any data from similar builds nearby that they might be able to you know, offer that as just guidance. But this is even, bef- this is before the entitlement process yeah. though. This is early, early on. This is during like, you know, acquisition. You're drawing up your construction documents because your structural engineer may also need to know what are the conditions that might define your foundation plan. Are you going to do piles or are you going to do yep. a typical, sure. just a regular foundation? Is it slab on grade or you right. have, do you have a basement? There are a lot of variables that you need to know about the soil conditions of the site before you can actually design your foundation. And so the way that we're going to actually get that data is by performing borings. So typically your geotechnical engineer can contract or you can contract with them directly, uh, a a company that will come out with a drill rig. And um, depending on the access, it could be a track mounted drill rig. It could be on a tripod uh, if, if space is really tight. You want a dad joke? This isn't Elon Musk's boring company, is it? It's <laughs> oh, good, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so you make borings and they basically we tell need, you. like a laugh track for this pod. I, I'll find one. Yeah. I'll, I'll get on that. That'd be great. <laughs> get the <laughs> totally stay easy button. So we're so talking about borings and we're getting a report about okay, that. Access. Yeah. yeah. So you guys. Um, well, we get, we've, we've done it. So, you know, you get the report and then you hand that off to well, your then, foundation Let's crew. back up. Yes. What, what point? Are you calling these guys in? Are you getting calling these guys in 
after you get your entitlement or after you get your approval? Or are you bringing them in during that process? So I like to write in all of my purchase and sale agreements or even in my offer that during time, such time as I have control of the property but have not yet closed, I have access to do what I call enabling work. So enabling work would include, and I, I spell this out, borings or geotechnical investigation. And so we're going to come with that drill rig and we're going to look at each strata or layer of the soil. Think of it like a cake. Your top layer in Boston most typically is urban fill. It is absolutely garbage. You often find truck tires and- Burned out houses. Yeah. Yep. yep. And, and then uh, your next layer is what? The organics? Often sometimes. you'll hit a layer of organics, yeah. which smell like- Sludge. Garbage. Low tide. Yes. Yeah. And then maybe if you're lucky, you'll hit solid clay. If you're is lucky. That, is that the or, or glitch, money layer? You know, hard, hard stiff clay, like a, a blue marine clay often has good bearing qualities or otherwise uh, glacial till, which is kind of what it sounds like. And what if you can't find any of those? What if it's just- so bad that you'd have to go down 40 feet, which makes no sense. Or more. Or more. Or 80 or 90. Now we're talking about something called piles. Deep, deep foundations. Deep foundations. So deep foundations, there's a number of options. You could do caissons, piles, and we could talk about what all those things are. But let's start with just the, you got lucky. You know, the quarter came up heads. You go four feet below frost and you have a typical spread footing. Yep. Easy. That's the that's the lucky scenario. Slab on grade, mm-hmm. or or you know you you get maybe five or six or seven or eight feet out, yeah. and then you can backfill with yeah. you know suitable fill, and then you build on that. Or, or you dig ten feet, and you have a basement level, and that basement bears on good soil, and you export the rest of that soil. Can you define SOE for our our listener base? Sure. Yeah. Uh, su- support of excavation. Yeah. Why is that important? So. This is critical. In the city where buildings are on top of each other and your, your, your holes are, are dug in very Basically close to proximity yeah. Yeah, to, to another structure, you, you need to know that you're not interrupting what's called the bearing zone of influence. So the idea is that this adjacent structure, your neighbor's building, it's sitting on foundations and that foundation's exerting, and down, uh, exerting its own pressure. And if, if you move the soils that are supporting your neighbor's foundation, then your neighbor's building is going to move or settle. And that's generally bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'll be calling you saying, hey, I've got all these new uh, cracks in my wall and I don't remember right. them being there. Yeah. Right. So, so typically you think of it as a, uh, call it the angle of repose for a bearing zone of influence. And it's usually thought of as a one-to-one. So for every one foot you go down, you kind of want to stay one foot away, one foot down, one foot away. And so draw, draw that triangle. 10 feet down, it will be impossible to go 10 feet away. So you have to do something else. And there's, they can recommend what you do, but that's something sure. to consider. And that's something that's shoring. potentially an added cost. The shoring is an shoring. added cost. Soldier yeah. piles and lagging. Yeah. You know? so. so soldier piles could be steel beams and the lagging might just be wood uh, between those two steel beams. And that's soldier piles and lagging. That's one form of SOE. Right. So cool. So we, we talked a little bit about making sure you're not disrupting someone's bear, uh, the bearing zone of influence, be it just the sidewalk in front of you or creating a dangerous situation. And actually, that's an interesting point. So before we did a couple projects, we did have some uh, shared party walls and we had to extend our, in one case, we had to extend uh, and underpin somebody's foundation wall. In a second one, we had to actually build an entire foundation wall because there was nothing there. So, so just to drive this home. Yeah. If, if before you get going, a really good thing to do is to check out the depth of your neighbor's basement. Mm-hmm. 
You might even want to dig a test pit on the outside of their foundation wall and follow that down till you hit their footing and to see how deep they go. If they have a footing. Yeah, if they have a footing. I mean, ideally they have, ideally they have what? A deep foundation or a shallow foundation? Uh, ideally, it's the same depth as where you need to be, right? Deeper. Deeper. I mean, ideal if, if I'm, well, yeah. I hope they have a four-story basement because you're never going to. Four-story parking them. garage. Yeah, yeah amazing. <laughs> Down to China. Anyway, well, all right. Going back, how much do you typically pay for your geotech reports? Great question. A geotech report, more $5,000 plus or minus. For, for a smaller residential project, you get into something sophisticated, 20 grand, oh, 25 yeah. plus. Yeah, if anybody listening that does the larger projects, five grand is... <laughs> like a rounding yeah. error. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. And then so we talked about shallow foundations, a little yeah. on deep foundations. We want to talk like helic, like a typical foundation element we might use would be like a helical pile. Yeah, we could do that. How, how, actually, here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. How out of all of your new construction projects, how many were the geotech ports clean? Do you not have to do really anything with the soil? As far as like being able to just bear on like good soil with yeah. traditional, I'm 50 50. I'm an absolute flip of a quarter. It's pro- probably accurate. There's always something you have to do. Or, or we've had to like half of our site has been good and half of our site was bad. Like we had to bring in new fill for half our site, but the other half was suitable. It's like, it's, it's so bizarre. In lieu of borings, you can also dig a test pit. And I, I did that once without asking permission from the seller. That didn't go so well. How deep was the pit? It was 10 feet. Oh, how, and how was, what was the square? I, like, just big. It was the whole side yard. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, boy. Um, I filled it back in, but... Uh, <laughs> were they living there? Yeah. Uh, no, they were not living there. This was an estate sale. But okay. Like the son-in-law drove by and was like, what is going on? So maybe Why is half my yard dug up? Yeah. It's maybe maybe young, half- younger days. Oh, gosh. Well, it's in the contract, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gray area, ena- gray area. Enabling work. So, yeah. So, That's so like, what I learned to write enabling work, <laughs> if I'm being really honest. So one so other the, thing we'll get from, from a boring is, is groundwater. Yes. yes. And how, yeah. So if that, if you're in an area where there is groundwater or you just happen to be lucky enough that you have a well or something underneath you, then. Well, we should, and we should do an entire episode with a civil guy to, to talk about that. We can and we will. So, so in, during the borings, they can increase install a, a groundwater monitoring well. And what's important is you don't just check it once because groundwater levels can fluctuate. Uh, you might have just put installed that well the day after a massive storm or otherwise it hasn't rained in four weeks. So check it a couple times to get a good reading on where you're going to be at. All right. So we've got, oh, we've got the building down. We've got a hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, now we've got nice, suitable soil. So, so assuming, assuming capacity, our soil is good. Your 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 site work is well, prepped. Should we? Okay, I'm going to back up again. Back it up. <laughs> I'm going to get that. Sound. If you have to bring in, do we have costs on if you have to start bringing in suitable fill on how much that would cost? I think that varies so much based on the or location. Should, is it not worth talking? probably not worth talking about, but worth considering if you're listening to this and this is part of your your project. Because it could get expensive. Talk to your site work. You want to share all of this with your excavation company and whoever is going to be doing the foundation if it's not one and the same. I think it's a good moment to pause, though, and just talk about controlled construction. If you're three units or more, your complex construction, 
the authorities, the building department is going to want to know that uh, a third party like your geotechnical engineer or architect is, is supervising the construction as well. It's not just some licensed builder saying that soil looks good. Let's bring in the concrete forms, you know? Right. And, and, and so like, this is a place where you can really trip yourself up. To me, you get to the end of the project and you're going for your certificate of occupancy in a hypothetical world. And they say to you, where's your affidavit from your geotechnical engineer? You call him and you go, Dan, I need my, my, my affidavit. He goes, well, I didn't see the bottom of the hole. I have no idea what your building is bearing on. My office is in New Hampshire. So that kind of communication throughout as you're digging, often they'll send, uh, they might come down. You might be able to just take some pictures and send it to the geotechnical engineer. But someone who's looked at the bottom and said, that looks good. You're ready to, to start going up. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to make sure that your, your geotech engineer is involved throughout the excavation process, all throughout the excavation process and keeping them in touch. And, and like you said, we, we've sent them pictures and, and whatnot. So if, if unfortunately you fall into a category where you need helical piles, helical piles, think of them as like a screw, a very long screw. And that screw is going gonna, is gonna to go through that layer of unsuitable soils until it gets down to something that has some bite to it, something that's stiff. And you're going to measure its resistance in, in kips. So each pile is, has a specified number of kips on it. And, and it's again, it's not on you to sit there and go, yeah, you hit it. Great. Let's go to the next one. Geotechnical engineer will typically want a third party to stand out there, for better or worse, and watch each one and then record uh, what, what, how, how it's performing. And, um, you know. I'll be, we've never actually ever done helical piles, yeah. so I'm not as familiar with the process. What, how deep can helical piles go? Like, I, what's the, the threshold? The threshold, I don't, I don't know the, the total length, the, the limitation, if you will. 30 feet was, was about where I was at. I know that okay. much. And then you, so, so that's one option. And then another thing that we didn't even talk about much is, is ground improvement, which is another kind of type of foundation system unto itself. So ground improvement is super interesting. We just did a big project. So ground improvement is not going to start till you hit much larger projects. Uh, the reason is the machinery is very expensive. So to mobilize that to your site is a fortune. So it needs to pay for itself by amortizing over a large site, but it, it's what it sounds like. You're actually improving the condition of the soils in the ground. Um, so GeoPeers is a proprietary product, but what they'll do is they use rammed, they're called rammed aggregate piers, and they'll drill and in small lifts in like six inches or 10 inches at a time, they shove this kind of aggregate down and then ram it and then six more inches. And in doing so, they create like good earth above. To, to, you see that, you see that on a lot on. of larger yeah. projects, like it being built in the seaport, Yeah, you know? So it's almost like uh, sticking a bunch of toothpicks into something that's not really firm, but the toothpicks cause it to become more rigid or it's something almost, like that's that. That's like a carpentry trick, right? If you yeah. have like <laughs> rotted wood and you can't get the screw in. Yeah. I like, I like how your brain works there. I've, I've driven by sites that are using that and I can't, I, I look at the offices next door. I'm like, I can't even imagine working there and hearing the boom, boom, no. boom, boom all day, every day. Yeah. Well, so, so that, that's typically a driven pile too. Oh, so that's not the same. That's not the same. So like a driven pile, you can use freaking telephone poles as driven piles as were done in the back bay or precast piles, but nonetheless, Interesting. Um, yeah, those are driven or you can vibrate them in. Huh. But if you do all those things, you probably want to also monitor uh, for settlement all the adjacent buildings. <laughs> yeah. It's a yeah. Once thing. you get to that size, I'm sure those are some other concerns and requirements. And like major, major shoring on some of those buildings too. Yeah. Like the bigger buildings. Mm -hmm. 
Cool. So wow. Big, okay. Big we digress. Yeah, yeah, we digressed. Groundwater is so an groundwater, interesting one. Yes. Okay. 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 So you're we're monitoring for it and we're accounting for it. And uh have you ever had to do anything or know what happens when groundwater is potentially an issue? Because you obviously can't just pour concrete into water. Right. You well, have to mitigate it. But then what if it pops back up? So are there systems in place? Because don't you have to filter the water and is this a whole topic unto itself? And so, to consult consult the expert at that point. And we can hit it quick, but I'd say gone are the days of throwing a swimming pool pump into the bottom of the hole and putting a fire hose out into the street. If you get caught with that, you're in big trouble. The reason being is because a ton of sedimentation comes up with that water and it's just going to clog the city's infrastructure. So for good reason, don't do that. But if you do want to dewater, you have a couple options. Most start with a dewatering permit, which takes a long time. So you're going to want to start that process very early. We do it almost just as a um, prophylactic measure on bigger jobs. Just get the dewatering permit. I'm not sure we're going to need it, but it takes long enough and it's cheap enough. So that's one option. An easy, another thing is if you have space on site, we can dig a relief pit. So sometimes I can dig a, subse- a, a second hole somewhere far off in the backyard to try to attract that water and pull it out of my primary hole or pump from one hole to the other. And then what happens if you, when, once you fill that relief hole back in? You're probably in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my so, question. Like, do, you, do they just make you put a big filter on there to get the sediment out and then you can put it into the street? Or do you literally have to like bring a pool truck in and question. pump it into the truck and ship that out somewhere? So along those lines, you can hire, you can get frack tanks. And frack tanks are sort of what you described. There's big holding tanks and they'll filter and... Is it pretty clear that Ray and I have not done bigger projects? (laughs) (laughs) You're asking good questions, at least. (laughs) So everything to consider. Those are good things to consider. What have we we missed? Anything that we've missed up until this point? Ready to pour? There's so many foundation options. It's tough, right? Like there's even, you know, dips, ductile iron pipes, which rely on friction. And you drive these iron pipes into the ground. And, you know, so what's important is that you know the weight of the building and your your geotechnical engineer is going to work very closely with your structural engineer. Yeah. And your structural engineer is going to do some calcs and figure out how much weight is going to sit on this foundation based on the number of stories of your building, the framing, if it's wood or steel, if it's brick facade, right. if you have gypcrete or no gypcrete on your floors, these things all it's matter. It's a very important discu- discussion to have because the type of foundation can significantly change the cost. Yes. And so once you get that report and you give it to your structural engineer, you want to have a conversation with them on what your options are. And that way you can kind of outline it and and decide and make a decision on how to proceed. Let's talk utilities. Yes. Civil. Yes. Groundwater recharge. You mean rainwater or groundwater recharge? Like... uh... So you're going to collect all the water from your impervious surfaces. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So almost like a storage tank of so some sort. So you guys sort. are doing that on every job. Oh, yeah. 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 We're yeah. not, you're not allowed, you can't just slap a building up anymore and throw gutters on it and have that go across the sidewalk, usually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or into your neighbor's backyard. Or into another person's property. Or into the sewer. Yeah. yeah, or into the sewer. Or into the sewer. Every project will require a plan from your civil engineer to be submitted and approved by the city. And it can go anywhere as long as it's generally absorbed and it's been accounted for. We've had some go under a garage space that's inside, kind of had a center drain there. We've had some that go on the outside. So, but what's important is that that drain is feeding into a structure and that structure is buried in the ground and it's typically filled with crushed stone mm-hmm. or some good draining element. And um, 
when you have a rain event, it's all going to collect back there. All the water from your roof, from your driveway, uh, you know, any impervious surface. And so, it's going to... Uh, I'd say there's an asterisk next to that because we have had things designed in the city approved, at least here, where you will have that design as you described, but you can also have what, you know, what's known as like an overflow. <laughs> and oddly enough, they will allow the overflow to be sort of a storm drain cover. And if your whole system fills up and backs up, then it's okay, I guess, for the water to spill over onto the sidewalk and into the street. We have seen that, and we had multiple projects approved that way. So, right. So, so when you have that massive storm event, and, and like the, a hurricane might come through yeah. a tropical storm, we have those here. And, and there's the groundwater recharge. It can't recharge the ground fast enough. Right. There's an overflow. You're suggesting. Yeah, we've had some systems designed where there's an overflow, and and at that point, then it's permitted to cross into the city uh, stormwater uh, drains. So, right. Yeah, but to, but to the layman, it looks just like any other storm drain just on our property. So one thing I love to verify quickly as I can is that um, the city's storm uh, storm in the street is low enough that my recharge system, that the overflow from my groundwater recharge structure can get to the city's pipe in the street with gravity. Because if not, say you have some sort of a hill condition where you're down on the bottom of a hill and the, the way below the street, you're going to need a very expensive pump. <laughs> or making sure that when your site guys are installing the recharge mm-hmm. system, they are putting, they were making sure that they're putting that at the right elevation mm-hmm. because we've run into situations before where they'll put it too low. Mm-hmm. And then when they pour the sidewalk, the sidewalk ends up being higher than the overflow. So if it overflows, it's overflowing back into <laughs> your house. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is a good point to pause and just say during all of these steps of the process, having a civil engineer on site to confirm elevations and yes, at, at all facets and also to pre-mark things to make sure that you're building where everything is supposed to be relative to yeah, your we, own we building made, lot yeah, lines. We should definitely yeah. I mean, elevations and confirming distances because those constantly seem to get confused between architectural and engineering plans for whatever reason. Right. Agreed. So, so back to back to foundations. Yeah. So yes. so you've hit suitable bearing. You're all good in and, and you've got your recharge system in place. Yes. Yeah. And you're you're pouring concrete. So one thing well, let's pause for a second. Yeah. What if you have what if you have below grade plumbing that you need to tie into the street? Mm-hmm. Or you have lower level uh, living space and you have to get all your plumbing lines. Those need to go in before you've done, you can do your foundation, you can do your footings, but you can't pour the slab yet. Your slab, but you can still pour your foundation walls. You can do the walls and the mm-hmm. footings. Yeah. So I jumped in so too soon. I jumped Yeah, you gun. jumped in too soon. So you I jumped f- the gun. I feel you. I mean, <laughs> you got excited. Very passionate you about got plumbing. excited. Well, you know why? Because the, once the once the concrete's in, like that's it. You you're not you're not just gonna cut through it for fun. That that yeah. sucks. Yeah. So, well, it is always good to core to <laughs> to know where 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 your utilities are gonna come through that foundation wall and leave those core holes. You know. Yeah, sleeve yes. or something. Um, sleeve, yes. Yeah. Yes. Forgive Definitely. me. Definitely. So. Okay. So concrete's so footings, coming in. Footings. So I was just thinking, you know, another tripwire where your structural engineer at the end of the job might be upset with you uh, should you ask for an affidavit without having provided compressive strength reports, concrete breaks. So third party group is going to come out and just take a little sample of the, of the concrete that's going into your foundation. And they're going to test it over a certain number of days and make sure that it reaches its, its specified break strength or compressive strength. So, so you got your pudding. Their footing. Your footings are poured. Do you bring out a... Your 
Well, are, you before, co- are you coming out to measure again? You know again? what? Before you even poured that footing <laughs> yeah. again, you to my earlier point, you are bringing out your engineer to make sure that they've marked the outline of the footing. So now your footings are in. Bring back the engineer so he can pin the foundation walls. Yep, if surveyor. that's your plan. Surveyor. Yeah. Surveyor, surveyor excuse me. A civil engineer civil. often yeah. does survey too. Okay, so, so let's talk structural steel. Often okay. in our buildings, we're fortunately or unfortunate uh, to have some structural steel elements. And so those steel columns are going to sit on base plates. And wood is good. Wood is flexible. I can cut it. I can be a little bit wrong. But steel's ideal. But steel, no. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely another place. Once I have my base plates, which um, are going are gonna to hold those steel columns in place, I'm always calling my structural, my surveyor, and having him come out to shoot those Base plate and anchor bolt locations. Funny enough, my <laughs> surveyors just call me now. What's chances Whoa, of that? Are hey, we literally hey, live? I don't think we're live. Yeah. The idea is we're going to create an as-built. We're going to do a drawing that's going to show to the eighth or sixteenth of an inch where those anchor bolts are. Compare it to my steel drawings, and if I need to make changes, I'd rather make it. You know. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. That you cannot be off with the steel at all. But you're. Are you doing that? Are you doing that during? Footings or before, or after for foundation. I'm I'm typically doing that. Get, I'm I'm having the surveyor come back out after those anchor bolts are in. And so you're saying your foundation so after your footings. In. This is while you're pouring your walls. No, this is after the walls. Yeah, the walls are done. Yeah, the base plates are going to sit on top of the of the concrete footings. Correct. And I'm going to come out and measure where each anchor bolt is. Well, I'm sorry. Sometimes, but sometimes you're. Sometimes your steel sits on your perimeter of your foundation as well. Yeah. So you got to do that when you're doing your walls. Yep. And if things get messed up, don't, you know, it's not the end of the world. You can drill out some of the foundation and reattach the anchor bolts, but you got to run that by structural because there's different strengths and limits. And so my, yeah. my first Jeremiah from Hazen O'Neill will appreciate this, but first new build I did, I just remember the night before my first big pour. Jeremiah calls me at like nine o'clock and he goes, dude, just make sure that you have all of your hold downs in place. And I just remember being like, what are hold downs? <laughs> yeah. Check ex- episode 11 for, for more on that one. Yeah. But, but so no, the, the hold downs are going to start at the foundation and they're going to follow a structural element all the way to the roof. And, you know, certainly you can do these things after the fact, if you want to drill and then dowel, you know, and epoxy those things in. But if you can get them in place while you have the concrete wet, I like to try to. Well, yeah, because I mean, the epoxy and drilling a hole is a diff- is, is never going to give you the same strength as literally a piece mm-hmm. of metal going down. It's a strong. 90 degree turn it, it, and being held in the concrete that way. It'll make the strength. It's really it just how much of a pain annoyance it is. I see. But sometimes it's pretty annoying to try to get those things right with all the other chaos of a big pour. Well, so you know I what just else? figure on it anyway. Yeah, you know what else you want to make sure when you're doing yeah. before your foundation's poured? Make sure all of your door openings and all of that are in the correct locations as well. Because you don't want to have to start cutting into mm. the foundation to make sure, oh, my my they, they mm. messed up and they put my rear door in the wrong location or it's, you know, two six door instead of a three o door and stuff like that. Let's yeah. talk quickly. Uh, slab on grade versus structural slab. So often we, we'd like to use a slab on grade, right? It's, it's inexpensive. You just use some wire mesh and pour a couple inches and it just bears on what it sounds like, good soil. But if your basement level um, is, you're not fortunate enough to have good soil below you, you can't bear on urban fill or some other garbage soil. So you're going to need a structural slab, which is going to be 10, 12 inches thick. It's going to have maybe one or two mats of rebar crisscrossing. It's a ton of steel. 
um, and it's it's going to drive your cost so a lot. Is yeah. that typical with just living space, uh, or would you end up doing some kind of hybrid of that? Where um, I'm trying to think of what it is. It's almost like your slab will normally be that four inches of concrete, but then where you have a load bearing wall, potentially you you dip it down to like eight or ten inches. Yeah, we've had certain structural slab elements mm-hmm. mixed with a yeah. normal standard like four inch slab yeah. as well. So you call that a haunched slab. Yeah. You know, it's you like haunch a- the slab at those at those elements. Exactly. Be it a column or, yep. So, so that scenario that you just described, is that typically more if you have below grade parking, that sort of thing? No, it's really to, uh, parking, I can, I'm, le- I'm a little less concerned if the parking, uh, the concrete over the parking cracks, because that's sort of one of the worst case things. Um, so I'll just use a lot of crushed stone and compact it and try to get a good base. But certainly if it's someone's living room and that, that, floor starts to crack, that's a different thing. So to me, it's more finished living space. If it's in a basement or if you have no basement and it's it's just your first floor is your slab. The last build I did, we we had a whole structural slab. Yeah. And we had that, the last build we did, it was more of a hybrid mm-hmm. or haunched slab. Dan, you had a question? Yeah, I, I did have a question. So, I mean, we're, we talked at the beginning, you know, the, the typical progression of a developer is new is after you do a bunch of rehabs and got renovations you do construction if i'm trying to budget for a new construction project how do i budget for all this all my cost. site work because there's so many variables as we've discussed and the prices can be all over the place so how do i carry a budget if i've never done this before i would talk to somebody who has i'd ask because... you the same question about you embarking on your first gut renovation yeah, I, I mean I, the risks are maybe a little higher. I guess. Yeah. I'm so, a lot so higher. for everybody listening, we just paused for a real quick break here, and, and now we're back. So, I don't think it would be responsible. I think we kind of agree it wouldn't be responsible to put an actual number on it. We could talk about it dollars per foot. We could talk about it actual dollars. I wouldn't want to give a number because it varies so much by site, and as we've talked about, the reports can can tell you so many different things. So, to get a general idea. Talk to other people in your city, in your area, because that's the other thing, the cost of labor. and Not even talk to the people in your city. I would talk to people that have building in your neighborhood, in your your city. Yeah, yeah. But to your question about cost, I think that it's important to keep in mind that projects move on the margin. So in theory, when you're building ground out, like the margin should be pretty good. There should be a, a, a decent profit on the end. And so if construction costs fluctuate, you should be able to absorb that. Yeah. And and you're typically carrying an overall uh, original initially when you're running your numbers, you're typically carrying an overall price per square foot for your build. So that should include site work, and you should be including contingencies in those numbers. Definitely. So you have a you have a construction contingency, probably five to seven percent at the start, and then you can start to shrink that contingency as you start to get more real information. Yep. Exactly. So have we missed anything from a site work perspective? I mean, there's a lot, but I'm sure we I think we covered missed. a lot in a lot, little time. I think my geotechnical engineer might be mad at me. I'm gonna... <laughs> Sharing too many secrets? <laughs> no, 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 I think no. she's just going to be like, wow, that was like 10% of it. Yeah. And you left out a lot of important. But... Well, that's why we're not the experts and it's important to contract with the experts because they'll always know something that we can't know at all. Again, can't stress it enough, site work is so important. Where I think Ray handles a lot of the site work aspects of it, but I know during the site work phase, we are on site 
multiple times a day, making sure that things are being done correctly because, you know, it, it, it literally will affect the rest of your project. Yeah. And just to expand on that, you know, I am paranoid about it for probably two or three reasons. And some of them are personal experiences that we've gone through, Dan. Some of them are experiences I've heard from others. And just to capture a few of them, the very first project we did, we didn't pay attention to some of our elevations, which ended up resulting in a staircase having to move due to head height issues, which resulted in a bathroom changing size, which resulted in living space changing dimensions. And, you know, all these things kind of have a snowball effect, but you're kind of you're shooting yourself in the foot if you're not paying attention at the site work phase. And then other areas... That's just it. I think that's the most important word, snowball. Yeah. And so often you just go along, la-di-da-di-da, things are good for six months, and all of a sudden things don't fit. Yeah. And you start to realize all the mistakes, and they can you can often track them back to just like something simple at the beginning. It's like, oh, why is this room yeah. not the same size yeah. as it says on the plans? Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, well, your foundation was six inches short. Yeah. Yep. And it hopefully isn't six inches long. Right. So foundations being the right size, the right locations, again, survey, survey, survey at each each step. I've heard people, uh, other folks that I know where their foundation was six inches off. And because they were so close to a lot line, they didn't have the driveway with they needed. So they had to pay a large sum of money to their neighbor to get an easement. So it's just all these things can happen. And so surveying, paying attention, elevations, just triple check, quadruple check. <laughs> I don't know. Good lesson. Hey, so for future ones, maybe we'll get into some framing. We didn't. Yeah. Uh, Let's keep building this house. Yeah. This theoretical yeah, cool. building. Thanks everybody for listening, for sharing. And if we're getting too much into the weeds or we're not getting deep enough, just let us know and we're here for you. Yeah, we'd really appreciate your feedback and we'll catch you guys on the next one. Bye. Cheers. <laughs>